So yeah, it's just so awful. Anyway. Um, uh, let's do it. Alright, sounds good. Hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe. The show that guarantees shrimp tails in every box. I am Max. And I am JR. That is a dumb joke that will remain trapped in this moment in time like a mosquito in amber. Uh, they're going yeah. to they're going to dig that out and but like it won't even be a reviving the dinosaurs thing. They'll uh, future generations will look at that and be like, mm, "No. I don't even want to know what that's about." <laughs> Uh, wait when when is that from the 2020 no no i don't i don't even want to look uh learn from history not when it comes to things like that i don't know i don't think i uh and there's there's never there's never there's no lesson (laughs) there's no lesson and there's no there's no context that would make that worthwhile yeah like you know when you when you when you look at something like that and it's just like, well, Topanga's husband may or may not have pretended to find uh, shrimp tails in a box of cinnamon toast crunch and made a whole thing about it on Twitter. You you look at that and you're just kind of like, that's really the, uh, based on the information I had before, there's, that's really the only way that could have gone. Yeah. So... Wait, and then it was, and then it was just dumb for a week. Yeah. Well, luckily it wasn't a whole week. It was a, uh, it was really only a thing. It was a gross thing when we first see the pictures, and you're like, oh, well, that's kind of funny and gross. And then you, and then you start unpeeling it, and you're like, this guy has a podcast that's fairly popular, I guess, and, um glass houses i suppose and uh he but he's married to topanga what and your brain just starts going this can't be and she's fine lately like been do they wait and they've been promoting cinema toast crunch on their own for the past few years until this happens i don't understand and well, at that and point, your brain goes. Milkshake ducked, and, and then, it then turns got... out she was she may be racist, and like just all kinds of shit. And you're just kind of like, oh my god, like how did this become this? Yeah. How did this become this? <laughs> like, yeah. it's very whatever. much a uh, a product of our era where. Something that dumb can unravel into a thing that's so confusing and horrible and still dumb that provides nothing to, like, the cultural discourse of any kind. And you're just like, I I mean, I know we're happy that we're not having to, like, spend our energy dreading everything all the time much anymore but like guys this we is don't? i we do <laughs> all right let's do news so let's talk about diamond oh good so 
DC dropped Diamond back in June. Uh, and this week it was announced that as of October, Marvel is going to be going with random, or sorry, Penguin, Penguin Random House for their de- distribution. Now, you will still be able to get Marvel books through Diamond, but they will be a wholesaler, not distributor. Um... Now, all I can say is good. Fuck him. Uh. Well, okay. And to a lot of my uh, information on like the way this works and uh, how I should feel about it, which I guess is being formed from uh, watching or spike analyze it on twitter twitter iron spike go follow her she does a better job of explaining this stuff than i will for sure um and basically diamond having been you don't want us get fucked with everything comics like if you don't want to deal with us go for it but you're fucked um for two and a half decades or something is or more 30 years, basically. I mean, means it was that, the 80s. Means that at once any time, anything they get that even smells just a little bit better and a little bit supportive other than Diamond, all the co- po- comics publishers are just going to be like, absolutely, fucking Get yeah. me that. Because I don't want to deal with these assholes anymore. They suck. They're, they're everything about their back end like how they do business blows they charge too much because they know they have they can and Mm -hmm. fuck them um so yeah when it comes to random house who's i don't know if they've how involved they've been in the trade paperback market but that's been exploding in the last few years so if they have been some of that in on some of that then they may be finally making enough money from Marvel to be like, you know what? Sure. We'll just take over everything. It's fine. Yeah. And well, I don't know that I, to be true. I'm, I'm spitballing there. I should clarify. I I think it is kind of the, uh, the final nail in the coffin of the, uh, comics. They're dying argument that you hear a, as a constant refrain from chuds, uh, because you know, companies like Penguin Random House don't make decisions out of love. <laughs> they don't make decisions out of love of the game. Uh, you know, they make decisions based on what they think will make them money. And they think this will make them money. Um, additionally, uh, again, good. Fuck yeah. Diamond. Uh, because... I am, I am categorically, like, I don't like monopolies. And I, you know, it sucks, like, Diamond was the subject of an antitrust investigation. Uh, and it was decided not to pursue it because basically they only have a monopoly on one 
part of the publishing world, which is not a good reason not to do that. But you do you, I guess, government. Uh, but yeah, like, good. I Diamond's practices have always been anti-consumer, anti-retailer. Um, so I'm, I, you know, via con Dios, motherfucker. Yeah. And so, well, and I mean, and you'll, I don't know because the biggest publishers in the comics world are not Marvel and DC. Like, right. We, we need to, we need to re-remind everyone that, that the big two are not actually the big two. They, they represent a, I think it's something like combined, I'm making this number up because I know it's, but I know it's like 20%, maybe 40 of the It's not 40. I know that much. Yeah. It's much smaller than that. Um, Of the actual overall everything comics market. It's Scholastic and... Shit, I'm gonna forget it. Was it Viz? Viz something, uh, and uh, it's manga, basically. Yeah, and uh, it's manga and Scholastic are the big ones, and worldwide, right? Um, And so, if Penguin has been involved in those for a while, which I kind of think they have been, I don't know that to be true. Again. But if they've been involved in that for a while, then they're not so much taking a hit if they take over the uh, Marvel distribution and such. They're managing their brand any, more than anything else. They're they're gaining more control. Yeah. Well, I think what I think what's what's worth pointing out here, though, is that while Marvel and DC are not the biggest, by any stretch, the biggest chunk of the comics industry as a whole, they are the biggest chunk of Diamond's business. Um, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, things like Scholastic, Diamond, Diamond will, Diamond acts as a wholesaler for people like Scholastic and things like that, getting their books into comic shops. Um... But when it comes to distribution, their biggest business is Marvel and DC. Floppy, uh, specifically, right? I, be- I believe. Um, so, yeah. Um, anyway. Like I said, we can, we can move on. But, uh, you know, it's just, it basically comes down to good. Bye. Yeah, and again, if you want a better rundown on this, on why it's important and how it might affect other smaller publishers, spikes, spikes your girl. Go, go, go! Follow her. Um, Spikes your woman. Yeah, she really is. She could crush me. Um, Well, all the same. (laughs) Yeah, she's over eighteen. She is over eighteen. Yeah, that was. Bad wording on my part. I apologize. Uh, so. I'm trying to find that thread. Anyway. Comics? Comics. Did you, have, did you have more news? That was it. Like, 
that's the biggest thing this week. Um, so, comics. Uh, we start this week with X-Men number 118, which has a cover by Dave Cockrum, Terry Austin, and John Costanza, written by Chris Claremont and John Byrne, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Ricardo Villamonte, uh, colored by Glenna Sween, lettered by Tom Orzakowski, and edited by Roger Stern. Uh, the X-Men, having been found by a Japanese ship, are brought to Japan, and they arrive in the port of Aragashima uh, to find that the city is on fire. Um, they come they come ashore and they meet up with sunfire who is meeting with the japanese prime minister as well as misty and colleen uh and it's just like it's moses magnum and uh he is holding the country for country hostage uh demanding that he be made uh ruler of japan uh there are a lot of there are a lot of interesting things that happen uh, in this story. Uh, first of all, we have the first appearance of Mariko. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we have a little bit of an idiot plot where uh, Misty and Colleen are concerned. Uh, because Misty just saw Jean. Um. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. So, like, I understand they didn't have long in the airport, but Misty, Misty is Jean's former roommate. They're close. Yeah. Uh, so she probably would, at the very least... No. Oh my god, you're alive. Gene will be so happy. Or at the very least, want to know... I feel like Gene would come up. Even yeah. if even if Misty was just like, Hey Scott, what's going on? I just saw Gene at the airport. Yeah. And he'd be like, What? <laughs> like, if, so- if somehow throughout all of that time, Gene never mentioned that she thought Scott was dead, which uh, she would have brought up. Um, because there would have been all the mourning and the, uh, hey, what's wrong, Rumi? Um, and so, yeah, you're right. I hadn't even noticed that because I'm an idiot. Well, it's... I guess the plot, you're right. The plot works on idiots. Um, that's, that's me. (laughs) Well, no, I, so an idiot plot is a, a plot that only works if everyone concerned in the plot is a fucking moron. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, no, I, I know you know that. I was clarifying for anyone who wasn't aware of what it is. Uh, the So, yeah. the So, we get Mariko. Uh, we get all of this. Sunfire is kind of a dick, but also... There's kind of a nice moment with him at the end of all of it. Uh, so it's kind of a wash with him. I mean, uh, sir, if you were to quantify 
Sunfire being a dick for certain levels of Sunfire. Like, inside the Sunfire is a dick continuum, this is actually fairly low throughout most of the story. And then there's the nice bit at the end. So... This is, this is, this is sort of, if you were, yeah, if there were a Sunfire Dickishness Index, mm-hmm. this would be a strong five, you know? Yeah. It's basically Sunfire pH neutral, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. Uh, but, uh, so X-Men number 119 has a cover by Dave Cockrum and Terry Austin. And the issue itself is inked by Terry Austin and lettered by John Costanza. Uh, The X-Men infiltrate Moses Magnum's base. There's a fight. And then Banshee saves the day uh, by canceling out Moses Magnum's energy frequency. uh, But in the process, shreds his vocal cords. Mm-hmm. Uh, while all of this is going on, Jean arrives in Scotland, um, and then at the end of the issue, we ha- we get a little vignette wherein Angus McWhorter, um, who had a run-in with the X-Men in which his boat was destroyed, uh, or was it, I don't know, it was a hydrofoil or something. Yeah, uh, they borrowed, it was that hydrofoil they borrowed to get out to Muir Island the first time that right. uh, got fucked up on the way there, I think. Yeah, and though he'd been paid for the ship and his trouble, he bears a grudge. And so he's he's placing various uh, explosives around Muir Island in order to get his revenge somehow. Uh, when he is found by Proteus. Uh, and so uh, Proteus doesn't actually appear in the issue. He's off panel. But uh, we're going to be getting into that soon. So that's fun. Um, and at the, you know, at the end of this, the X-Men have a welcome home party from for Sean. Uh from the hospital and everybody's letting their hair down a bit. Uh, Logan makes some more time with Mariko, uh, stuff like that. And when, when the X-Men leave to go back to the U S like I said, Sunfire is just like, thank you very much for your help. I am honored to have fought alongside you. And it's just like, Oh, you weren't a complete prick. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there's also yeah. a, like a neat, uh, I don't know. Storm's great and yeah. she's great to all the people. So that's not hard. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's nothing much to say there other than I continue to like Storm. Hot take. Um, yeah, I'm sure, you know, this will be a thing. This will be a thing. No one wants to hear. Storm is rad. yeah um so i i always i always like uh i've said before i don't think i don't think mutants should have to justify their presence i think it's antithetical to the idea 
of mutants uh, because, you know, the Avengers and other super teams, it's like, what do you bring to the table? But the whole point of the X-Men is a safe place for people who don't belong anywhere else. And so Mm -hmm. the idea that people need to, uh, to justify their presence doesn't sit well with me. Having said that, I like when they do, uh, because then I can just be like, yeah, this person belongs there. So shut up. And Banshee gets one of those moments, uh, which is really nice. So, um, and, uh, Jean ends up in Scotland. Yeah, so I said that. You did say she, that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just trust me. <laughs> okay. I'm listening. Uh, I promise. So, X-Men number 120 has a cover by Bob Budiansky, Terry Austin, and Danny Crespi, and is lettered by Tom Orzakowski. Um, these two issues, we get the first appearance of Alpha Flight. We uh, we saw Guardian previously when he attacked, looking for Wolverine, but now we get the the first appearance of the classic Alpha Flight team, um, and so the X Men are on their way back to the U.S. But as they are coming in, they are diverted due to bad weather. Uh, and wind up being forced to land in Canada. Um, I forget whether they say specifically where they're at, but it's Cal- uh, Calgary specifically. Calgary, I couldn't remember. Yeah. Whatever, yeah. it's It'll Canada. Be... Yeah, <laughs> that they, narrows they, it, it down, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> it's it's important only because the weather, like in that area, uh, allows what happens to happen because it's big open plains that a lot of energy gets put into and is difficult to disperse because there's not mountains. Okay. uh, Because if you did it in Vancouver, you could just blow everything out to sea, right? Yeah. Or whatever. But like if you're smack dab in the middle of the Canadian plains, like there's not a lot of places to put that energy. Um, which is why it takes Storm so much energy. It takes her so much energy and time to, like, even it out later. Right. Right. Uh, but so, you know, Alpha Flight is after Wolverine because, of course, they are. Um, and, yeah. It's a lot of fun. We get to see, we get to see, you know, the various characters doing their their things. Um, it's really, it's really frustrating though, you know, how quickly things get out of Guardian's control. Like he's, he, he's really is blindsided by how quickly things go to shit. And, uh, and that's fun to watch. Vindicator? Yeah. He's Guardian at this point, I believe. No, he's Um, calling him Vindicator. Is he? Yeah, um, whatever. Um, I feel like Shaman gets done dirty in this a little, in that it's sort of implied that he doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to the 
storm that he whipped up in order to get them there. Like, we learn that Shaman was the one that was making the weather directing them to Calgary. And Storm, even, the character at some t- at points is like, I don't think he knows what he's doing, and I don't think I should even mess with it until it's a little more under control, because if I get in there and start playing around while he's doing something, this could all go to shit real fast. Right. Um, and, I don't know, he's sidelined a lot of it, too. I I don't know that it's fair to say that he's being done dirty offhand. Okay. I mean, there's a, there, there's a world of difference... Um, maybe as I mean... far as I think there's a world of difference between maybe what Shaman normally does and doing something on this scale. I think it's a lack of superheroing experience on his part that leads to, um, and you know, none of the, none of this is text. Uh, this is me being charitable, I guess, saying it could be that there's a, there's a different way of looking at it. Um, you know, I don't, there's, there's guess, really no, nothing to suggest one way or the other. I guess. Uh, you're right. Yeah. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, I don't know. Uh, I don't know because yeah. we don't have any, we don't have any evidence one way or the other. Um, yeah, he does. It, he it, does. He does fuck up. Like there's no denying that. But yeah. Um, but by the same token, you know, I don't know. Pretty much everybody fucks up though, because at one oh, point, yeah. even I don't remember what gets said that throws uh, Colossus. Like he he just sort of flips out and starts punching people and that's uh well he um i think in the next issue oh okay is which hang on so x-men number 121 has a cover by dave cockram terry austin and gaspar saladino and is lettered by diana albers and john costanza so the fight continues here um and there is, there is because it goes from it goes from um from just a two super teams battling to just a shit show and a lot of this happens because like colossus is already feeling pretty useless because every time he tries to do his thing he winds up getting smacked down so he's out here trying to prove himself um north star is just being north star and like all of this stuff and so what what you're talking about is as they're standing there talking for a moment colossus thinks north star is starting to move around cyclops in order to sucker punch him from behind so he attacks north star which sets things off all over again um ultimately what brings everything to a close is wolverine is just like you know what this isn't worth it i'll go i'll return to department h so they load him up in a van while asshole guards are talking shit about him um and then the x-men are like okay well 
that's that, I guess. So they load up on the plane and take off, and then they're surprised to discover that Wolverine is up in the cockpit, making time with the pilot. Um, he got on the truck, and then as it was making its way back to Department H, he uh, cut out the bottom and escaped. So, yeah. And I like how there's a moment before the fight is over where after... So the storm's getting out of hand, storm flies up and dissipates all the energy, but that seems to take some time. And as she's doing that, everybody else kind of just is starting to chill the hell out. Um, But we're all still extremely tense. And she gets done, comes down, and is like, okay... Are we cool? Is everybody fine? Is everybody safe? And at that point, uh, Northstar is like, you're clearly the most powerful. And yeah, runs up and bats her in the back of the head, which sets Cyclops off again. And he is like, okay, fuck you. You're going down. And I'm if she's hurt, for real, I'm about to put you in the ground. And Wolverine grabs him. Like, it's seconds from going off again. And yeah. that's when Wolverine is like, wait a minute. I'll go with him. I didn't mean to involve you guys. I know this is uncharacteristic for me, but uh, I can't keep running from this. And if I keep running from this, it's just going to keep involving you. Let's go. Yeah. Then I like that. Then later he's like, also, I'm running from this. <laughs> so <laughs> very yeah. Wolverine. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, yeah. I I enjoy X-Men during this period. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and seeing this team gel properly, uh, actually become the team we know, um, mm-hmm. is a lot of fun. So, And I like how this is a really good representation of a fight where it feels like it's gone to hell right yeah like a lot of the times i'm told that it's gone to hell and this is one that really feels like things are out of hand um on yeah. the in panel you know what i mean yeah and i also uh so you know i was i was looking at it and apparently like this alpha flight is super green at this point in time. Um, they're basically what the new X-Men were a short time ago. They're a fucking mess. And everybody's got their own shit going on. Um, and, you know, I think I was reading that in continuity, uh, Walter Langowski has only been Sasquatch for like a minute. So you actually see like he he stops their plane at the airport uh and actually inadvertently winds up throwing it um and vindicator's like what the fuck are you doing and he's like i i guess i don't know my own strength and it's it's legitimately the case that he doesn't um mm-hmm. you know and yeah alpha flight is is not prepared for this at all um i think that if I think that if the X-Men and Alpha Flight had met up earlier, 
then they both would have self-destructed. Um, which is to say, like, the X-Men are kind of on the back foot here uh, just because they're a bit blindsided by it all. Uh, but they are better equipped to handle all of this than Alpha Flight is. So. I still would have liked to see a little more teamwork. Like, I realize that the the chaos that Alpha Flight is bringing here because they don't work together is part of the reason why it devolves so poorly. Right. But I would have liked to see a little more, well, let's use that to our advantage from Scott. Yeah. Because um, Scott ought to know by now, having been one of the originals. Um, but, like, we... I wish I would have seen that. It just... It's, it's fine. I'm not... I don't hate it because it means that they're still learning too. And that's, you know, good. That's called character progression. I like seeing that. Right. Um, Well, and, and that's, that's by no means to say that the X-Men are there yet. Yeah. They are better than they were 10, 15 issues ago. Right. Uh, certainly, uh, alpha flight though, I think is where the X-Men were, in X-Men, say, number 99, or something like that, uh, wherein they are aggressively (laughs) self-destructing. So, yeah. So, I I like this era. Um, Yeah. As soon as as we get everybody back together, though, is when I'm, like... So, basically, next storyline. Yeah. Brody's. Yeah, yeah. So, Marvel Team-Up, number 80, has a cover by Rich Buckler, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Mike Vosberg, inked by Gene Day, colored by Petra Goldberg, lettered by Denise Wallen, edited by Jim Shooter. Uh, Peter's out on a date with this woman. Uh, I forget her name, but it doesn't really matter, because I don't know that we ever see her again. (laughs) It's but, sissy, and uh, I don't know where the hell she came from. So, I mean, you know, Peter and Mary Jane are kind of in a off on again, off again point in their relationship. So it's whatever, you know. She's a girl from school, so meh. Uh, but Peter's out on a date with Sissy uh, when they are attacked by a werewolf. Uh, that turns out to be Doctor Strange. Uh, Peter, once Sissy gets taken to the hospital, Peter then starts working to try and, uh, to help Strange. Uh, but he is woefully ill-equipped. We do, this is a, when we were reading the storyline with Silver Dagger and Marie Laveau, Uh, Marie Laveau did warn Strange that even though that portion of things had been resolved, that that the tarot reading she had done was not complete yet. And that's the other part. That's what this is, is the other part of the Silver Dagger was stage one. Stage two is he's a werewolf now. Yeah, Um, this is is the price that was paid in order to stop silver dagger and save clea right. um 
it's it's weird i don't know that i had as a, a much fun with this story uh clea's all over the place yeah in the end uh the so they were going to get on a plane Wong, Strange, and Spider-Man were all going to get on a plane and go to some monastery where Wong is of the opinion that they'll be ab- the, the monks will be able to fix him, save him, and uh, they are almost in the air when the moon comes out again. Plane explodes because Strange turns into a werewolf and blows it up from the inside, and at the very end, uh, Satana shows up to the sanctum. Right. Um, so Marvel team up number 81 has a cover by Al Milgram and Steve Leoloa, uh, and is inked by Steve Leoloa, colored by Ben Sean, lettered by Rick Parker and edited by Al Milgram. Uh, Satana winds up teleporting, uh, Wong, Strange and Spider-Man back to the Sanctum Sanctorum, uh, where she then endeavors to start... Uh, curing him. Uh, she succeeds, but in the process winds up being killed herself. And I'll give them, I'll give them credit. Um, they leave her dead for a while. Um, she doesn't show back up again in continuity until the nineties, I think. Um, I also like this. I like this death. Um, We don't know much about Satana. Um, You and I, because we've been skipping a lot of those books. Um, Because a lot of them are real silly um, and or time consuming. The art here is fantastic. Again, Marvel team up. You don't have to try this hard. Um, (laughs) The, so the way that she goes about, curing strange is basically she dives into the astral realm and then into his mind and starts rooting out the demons that are attempting to take over uh she's making progress making progress uh but it's becoming more and more difficult the closer that she gets to the goal at the end she's like screw it i gotta go basilisk so she releases all of her power at once in order to get to Steven's soul and crack the casing around it however since she did that she released the basilisk and it kills her yeah i like she willingly and that was the thing in order to free herself from the basilisk she needed to she needed to willingly sacrifice herself for another person yeah um and that was the only way to get out of it strange is awesome at the end when he's explaining it to peter like because peter's freaked the fuck out like he was he was fighting a werewolf one minute and then that stopped satana just laughed smiled and fell over dead and he's like what the fuck is going on how do i yeah. explain this to anyone yeah <laughs> and uh strange gets up and kind of lays it out for him and is really like sweet about it too and uh he's like yeah yeah it's really this is what happened so it's good i like this issue way more than i thought i was going to um yeah yeah so uh the next issue 
we get an issue of Doctor Strange, uh, Doctor Strange number 34. Uh, and uh, that has a cover by Rudy Nebris, uh, written by Ralph Macchio, penciled by Tom Sutton, inked by P. Craig Russell, colored by Glynis Ween, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Al Milgram. I've been trying to figure out how much of the art here was due to P. Craig Russell's inks, because P. Craig Russell did that Doctor Strange annual that was absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were there were bits of that here. I don't want to... Was that the one in the lighthouse or the one that started in the park? That was, uh, that was the one where he, he goes to the, uh, he goes to the realm where, like, uh, there was the, the swan and, uh, and the soul mirror is destroyed and that was the only thing that was keeping the realm together right yeah um so yeah uh it was while clea was missing Mm -hmm. um and the art in that was absolutely beautiful and i like i was trying to figure out i was trying to find some other tom sutton art to try and figure out how much of the art that I liked in this was him and how much was P. Craig Russell. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to, there are a lot of flourishes in this book that are reminiscent of that annual. And I don't want to discount Tom Sutton's contribution in any of this, I don't want to say like P. Craig Russell, fuck yeah, and like Tom Sutton did all of it or whatever. Um, so I don't know, but I do really like the art in this issue. Um, Strange is Strange is doing his normal evening thing, uh, you know, just hanging out and. Uh, he decides to go to bed, at which point he is abducted by a rat and sent to Nightmare's Realm, uh, where he is forced to battle against uh, Cyrus Black, who previously appeared in Defenders. Um, Cyrus Black has had a huge upgrade in terms of power in the interim, and uh, Doctor Strange is boned. <laughs> um but he manages to win out and ultimately Cyrus Black seemingly destroys himself. Um, I know, I know that uh, Cyrus Black appears again elsewhere. Um, but I'm not sure whether those are uh, flashbacks or what have you, or whether, this is literally the end of him. Um, I don't know, but not a bad issue. It's a nice, fairly self-contained story um, in terms of, you know, you maybe have to have read the Defenders issue to know what Cyrus Black's deal is, though it becomes pretty clear what it is either way. 
I think they do a but, pretty good job of explaining this guy sucks. Like this guy. Yeah. Well, actually, this guy used to suck a ton, and then yeah. he sucked a little less, and uh, now he doesn't suck. Now he's kicking Strange's ass. Yeah, but he doesn't actually have. He's got. He's more powerful, but he doesn't have the skill. And even though he would have won in the end, he ends up destroying himself because he doesn't really know what he's doing. Also, there's a whole lot of like, um, I want you to die slowly, blah, 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 giving strange time. Overall, though, it's a real good fight. Yeah. Like, it's gorgeous to look at and strange does some cool things. Um, yeah and we we get that sort of adaptive strange where Mm -hmm. like the stuff he isn't working so he he's doing isn't working god i don't know why i'm having trouble talking lately uh went to say intricate earlier and couldn't but uh but the you know you see him adapting quickly to the fact that his spells aren't doing what he wants them to do. Um, and that's always that's always nice to see. Because so often it's easy to see Doctor Strange as Sorcerer Goddamn Supreme. And he just kind of rolls in and is just like... Bleep! And everything's fine again. Um, so it's I, I enjoy those stories where it's just kind of like he, he does the... And the other person's just like, ha ha, you thought that would work, but it didn't. And then he's just like, oh shit, what about Bizarre? <laughs> and, you know, yeah. So. I mean, we've talked about that with uh, Spider-Man too, where it would be easy to have him just show up and punch the fuck out of the lizard or whatever. But like right. him having to get inventive with the way that he fights, um, it's the same with Strange, is, oh, that didn't work. Whoops. Yeah. Hold on. Is good. Yeah. Nova number 19 has a cover by Carmine Infantino, Tom Palmer, and Danny Crespi, and is written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Car- Carmine Infantino, inked by Tom Palmer, colored by Michelle Wolfman, lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Uh, Nova has an accidental run-in with a villain called Blackout. Uh, Blackout is out for revenge against the guy, um, who is responsible for him being the way he is. So, supervillain origin 33 Gamma, um, and in the end winds up being, uh, dispersed into the dark dimension and Nova's just like, wow, that sucked. Yeah, uh, as far as a super villain fight it's it's fine it's it's fine uh we get it's more the stuff happening in um richard's uh personal life is a little more interesting yeah um he and ginger are better on the mend she's still way horny um well he actually refers to her as I don't know if he says girlfriend, but he says that he 
he talks about their relationship as more than just friendship. Yes. Uh, and I think that he's, I, in two and one. And that he's uh, happy about that. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's so that's good. Um, I actually like Ginger a lot now. She's growing on me. Um, because, and I think it's because she's permeating rich right like she's finally getting him to have a little bit of self-confidence and maybe that's not this issue maybe that's the two-in-one but this uh this is a better reflection it's like what we were talking about with uh ms marvel and like all these you know the side character thing that we continually bring up because it's been such a problem lately um is that nova was one of those books that was like you need to figure this out there are too many people and i don't care about any of them um and at least with this book going yes the other three all these other side characters exist but we are not going to spend time on them i don't care it's him and ginger right now let's just do that establish who they are and who what they mean to each other and get you to like ginger and in yeah. that in regard in that regard success i'm beginning yeah. to i am beginning to to like her but it's because i'm not having it muddied by fucking caps and the other guy that i don't give a shit it's like yeah they're there they yeah. show up they're yep. just like we still exist mm-hmm. but like we don't have to worry about like Oh no, what's going on with Caps? Oh no, I don't care. Well, like, like, you don't... It's because you were asking me to spend so much time worrying about what's happening with Caps without actually letting me know who Caps was first. And, like, I just... There was no connection there. Whereas now, if something happens to Ginger, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, well, I might care about that. Like, because... Because Nova cares, right? Like, that's... Right. And I've been shown that. Um, Not just told that they're best friends and that he would care if Caps was abducted, which, by the way, he didn't because he left Caps abducted for, like, five issues. Um, But, um, (laughs) like, they... Now I'm beginning to have some rapport with these characters because the guy I'm rooting for is having rapport with the characters on a personal level that wasn't there before. So right. that's fine. Just do that. Yeah. Um, I think, I think this is something that had kept me cause I've tried reading Nova previously, you know, after, after he started kicking massive amounts of ass in annihilation, I started, I was like, wow, I want to read more of this character. So I went back and I tried to read his first appearances and I was just like, wow, I really don't want to do that. Um, and you know, it's taken, it's taken its time to find its footing. Um, there's nothing wrong in that. Uh, but that was certainly what kept me from liking it previously is that it, it, there's not... It's it's frustrating sometimes how many we ha- how many times we have to reinvent the wheel. Um, yeah, you know you 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 would think that 
as many times as we've done, we've used the Spider-Man model. Mm-hmm. Uh, they should have it down to a science. Uh, but so often, they're just like, why isn't this working? <laughs> and And it's like, well... It doesn't because you're you're trying all this stuff and you you don't need you know you read the early issues of Spider-Man they're not trying to foist mm-hmm. characters off on you initially the characters you care about you are like instructed to care about <laughs> in the early issues of Spider-Man are Peter and may and that's it everybody else is kind of ancillary to that and only as time passes do they start fleshing everybody else out but you have to care about the hero your protagonist whoever that may be first Mm -hmm. and then they're your way into caring about everybody else Mm -hmm. nova made the mistake of trying to get us introduce all of these characters right off the bat Mm -hmm. um and there were books that managed that quite well. Nova was not one of them. Um, Mainly because Richard was so not the guy I wanted to like at the beginning, <laughs> right? No, I mean, and I, and I mean that. No, I sometimes I get what those you're sometimes the, that mistake is made. Like they were tr- they were trying to do Spider Man again. Where, no, he's really in high school now, but they tweaked too many of the variables to get away with it immediate. Like, to get away with me caring about the cadre of folks they surrounded him with by making him kind of dumb, bad at being a superhero, uh, and just sort of... And plus, he has no power and responsibility. Yeah, and no, and that's the other thing. That is a major thing that... Because Peter in his early appearances is not likable. Peter mm-hmm. is petty and and vindictive. Um and you know the the conflict in a lot of that is him overcoming that mm-hmm. because with great power comes great responsibility. With with Richard we have the drawbacks without any of the overall uh ethos that makes you want to take that journey with him right does that make sense there and i think they were attempting to slow burn that and like get him from sort of a sad sack to introducing him to other heroes and like making like learning by osmosis isn't right but like um reflection oh, this is the way Thor does it, this is the way Thing does it, this is the way all these other people do it, like, I can be better than this. Like, he meets Captain America and Cap's like, look, you kind of suck at this, but you're, you know, you're getting better, probably. Um, I assume. <laughs> and, but the the problem was you can't do that and try to force me, the reader, to give a shit about everybody else in his life at the same time. Like, right. give him one or two people that he has to go save. Sure. Um, and, or a problem that only he can overcome because he happens to be the one right there. And uh, let him suck at it. That was the good thing about his first appearance was, over that story, fighting that big dude, he sucked at it. 
but yeah. he still won because he had to save the idiots in the car um, yeah. that had come to watch the fight. Nova's frustrating in that I can see the plan. And I just want to grab everyone involved in the plan of like, we need a new Peter Parker and be like, this is no, no, what I, what do you, no, you can't do, you can't just do it all at once. Right. Like there was no, it it seemed to be, well, okay. You take Peter Parker and you give him a plucky, a plucky best friend, a, a love interest. That's way above his pay or above his station. And, uh, a, uh, more power than he knows what to do with. And then they didn't do the responsibility part that right. I guess they were hoping to bypass because he wasn't, he's just a sad sack. He's not a dick. He's not petty. He's just bad at. Yeah. And the, everything. I think, yeah, pretty much. And they were just hoping to get him acclimated by introducing him to stronger and stronger forces coming up that he would learn some self-confidence by beating up on prevailing yeah persevering and but there was no one around him to tell him that that's what he was doing um so he's never learning any of the lessons it's it's kind of frustrating i guess that's why it's frustrating all right i'm done well it it just sucks that um you know, this book doesn't have much longer. Um, and it's only now that we're kind of getting it to where it needs to be. Um, that, that it's <laughs> the writings on the wall. So the pieces uh, are always, the pieces are finally like moved into a better position for success. And, yeah. Yeah, we've got three more issues. So yeah, uh, Marvel two and one number forty two has a cover by George Perez and Terry Austin, written by Ralph Macchio, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Alfredo Alcala and Sam Granger, colored by Nell Yamtov, lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Roger Stern and Jim Salakrup. Uh, Wondar is being held at Project Pegasus, which is trying to sort of figure him out, but also uh, use him to figure out the Cosmic Cube. Thing bursts in uh, to make sure that Wondar is not being mistreated, which brings him into conflict initially with Captain America. As this is going on, uh, Victorious of the Cult of Entropy uh, uses the distraction to get hold of the cosmic cube and teleports to the Florida Everglades, uh, where he uses it to turn the remains of the cult of entropy's former leader into Jude the Entropic Man. Um, Jude the Entropic Man is one of those that's really odd because I, my first exposure to this character was, um, was in Paradise X. Mm. Uh, and Par- Paradise X was sort of a, 
Paradise X and Kingdom Come both acted as windows into the larger universe for me. Um, because both books exposed me, you know, with DC, I was always very, I was into Green Lantern. I got into Green Lantern when they introduced Kyle Rayner and sort of streamlined, uh, the concept, uh, which it sorely needed at the time. Um, but like DC, my, my interest was always like Green Lantern, Flash, stuff like that. Kingdom Come was how I was introduced to a lot of the larger concepts. And the same is true of Paradise or of the Earth X storyline. Um, when Jude the Entropic Man showed up, I was, uh, I was like, oh, this is a deep cut I'm unaware of. I'm sure there's a wealth of like stories involving this character and uh nope <laughs> like he he appears in this two-parter and then he kind of does nothing for a really long time uh and then he shows up again in avengers i think um this definitely feels like a villain that should butt heads with thanos until they agree that they're actually looking for the same thing right he feel he feels like he should be a cosmic level thing and be like appearing in a lot of those sorts of things and he doesn't yeah like if given his origin of created by a madman using the cosmic cube if he and Silver Surfer were to fight, I would be okay with that. That feels yeah. natural, right? Um, uh-huh. Especially after how the way this ends by basically him getting out logic in the next issue um, by the heroes and being like, well, fuck it, piss off, and leaves. Um, yeah. So, like, him traveling the goddamn universe and coming into conflict, conflict with, um, you know, Firestorm or uh any of those the you know the big cosmic heavy hitters Adam warlock warlock uh, yeah that makes sense uh yeah marvel or captain marvel like any of those guys that's cool let's do that um but like what's we what's weird is his his next appearances in avengers he becomes like a board member of aim and i'm like that that's the guy you choose to do that with? Like, why? Yeah. That seems like such a low stakes thing for Jude. Like Jude, the entropic man seems like the sort of character that should almost, um, uh, he should become like a, one of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The abstracts. Yeah. Like, he should become the personification of entropy and like, you know, like be hanging out with order and chaos and, right. um, uh, eternity. And like all he, it feels like that big a deal is it, yeah, this, but it, instead he's sitting in on aim budget meetings and it's just like, well, I think you'll find that in for in quarter three of last year, um, our earnings 
while robust were not anywhere near projections and it's just like why is this what you're doing <laughs> like <laughs> two things why is this what you're doing and what do you bring to this like yeah <laughs> both it's so incongruous that you should not be here for both for all the reasons like there's yeah. nothing in your power set that says evil corporate ghoul it, it, it's there's... like if it's like if thor became president of a homeowners association you'd just be like okay like i understand if this is what you want to do but like is this the best use of your time yeah like you're an avenger what are you doing worrying about linda's mailbox <laughs> like <laughs> so yeah so uh marvel 2 and 1 number 43 has a cover by John Byrne and Walter Simonson and is penciled by John Byrne, inked by Friends, uh, colored by Phil Rachelson, lettered by Bruce Patterson, and edited by Roger Stern. The I hate when they do this because it's really difficult to do proper attribution when all they put on the credits page is art by John Byrne and Friends. And it's just like... <sighs> But so anyway, so they're in the, they're in the swamps of Florida. Thing and Captain America are fighting, um, are fighting victorious and dealing with Jude the Entropic Man. Man Thing shows up and uh, is just just kind of lumbers around, and then at one point he grabs hold of Victorious. Victorious is then flanked on both sides by like jude the entropic man and man thing and uh at one point starts to feel fear and blah 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 and in the end it winds up that victorious victorious becomes a huge like crystal um that also includes Je jude the entropic man and Thing and Captain America take the now depowered Cosmic Cube and fuck off. Uh, and then Man-Thing, who got blown up in the in the course of creating this crystal, uh, reconstitutes himself and is like looking at the crystal. His hand starts to turn human. And then he's just like, huh, okay, and wanders off. Um, and like I said... Jude the Entropic Man feels like he should be such a bigger deal than he is. And they tried to do that in Paradise X because at that point they'd they destroyed death. And Jude the Entropic Man became the only way uh, that people could die. So like people were terribly injured and were having their hearts ripped out but left to, like, languish alive, but in massive amounts of pain. And so the promise that Jude, that Jude makes here is, is delivered upon in that book, wherein he's like, I'll return when people ask for me. Um, but other than that, he doesn't really do anything, so fuck it. Uh... 
Yeah. And Victoria so, sucks, so. Yeah, he does. He's awful. Uh, Marvel 2-in-1 Annual number 3 has a cover by Sal Buscema, written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Frank Giacoya and Dave Hunt, colored by Phil Rachelson, lettered by Joe Rosen, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Uh, the thrust of this issue is a some monitors hailing from a race called the Marvinites arrive on Earth, and their whole thing is they were sent out uh, their race achieved perfection uh, and then decided to spread out into the universe in order to share that perfection with everyone else. But then over time, that uh, that metastasized and it became no one is good enough for our help uh, and they do not deserve to live. Uh, so they just started, they show up, they judge a planet, and then they destroy it. Um, and no one is good enough for them. Uh, Nova and Thing encounter these things and fight them. Uh, but then <sighs> there are these women robots that serve as the power sources for their ships. Which, that makes sense. Um, I don't know if I, if I were going to enslave robots to act as a power source, I would strip out everything that wasn't necessary for that. Like I would not leave them arm and arms and I'm not saying I would do something like that because I'm not an asshole, but I'm just saying in the, in this hypothetical situation, I would not leave them arms and legs and a head with which to escape and then challenge me. But apparently I am just not perfect enough to understand the grand design. So they bre- uh, they break loose and aid Nova and Thing against the monitors. Two of the monitors are destroyed and the last one is like, whoa, 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 I'm on your side. I didn't wa- I think this is bullshit. Uh, and so he decides that he's going to go back to his planet and convince them that they've lost their way. Apparently, that never happens. Uh, <laughs> he gets waylaid, uh, becomes a captive of the stranger for a while. And then I think the la- according to what I read, the last time he showed up was during maximum security. So he was stuck on Earth during maximum security. Yikes. Yeah, whatever. Uh, I do like, there's a thing where um, Nova gets separated and is out in space. And he's trying to escape the destruction of a star. And in so doing, he pushes himself to his limit and winds up riding electrons back to Earth. But like... The whole thing is that's ostensibly how he flies in the first place, but like he kicks it into overdrive and winds up experiencing some spaghettification in doing so. Um, And if you're not, I'm just going to explain real quickly. Spaghettification 
is what they theorized would happen to you if you were to fall into a black hole. Because the part of you that's closer to the black hole and the part of you that's further away would have differing um, differing levels of gravity on them. And so you'd wind up being stretched out into an infinite uh, tube <laughs> going into the event horizon. You have uh, and, its uh, relativity starts breaking down because yeah. inside smaller and smaller spaces so that the atoms themselves actually the ones next to each other are actually traveling at a different uh speed or velocity than the ones even next to it and that means that it ends up stretching out and spaghettification is it's a cool idea if you're into general relativity um and horrifying to think about like the concept of having that happen to you that would suck um I, well, assuming you like, were cognizant yeah but, but it definitely would that destroy you is also part of the the one of those hard problems of consciousness is like right. does it because te- you know all the neurons would still be next to each other the the thing that make your brain be a brain but not a mind so like what what's the difference if we were to stretch it all out would you experience all of it or not and how would you experience it is uh nuts would your brain just yeah turn your mind off real quick while that happened and then when you if you emerged somewhere else because if that is a hole in space time, you're being given so much. I'm punting, or I'm postulating here, but like you could be. It, it is one of the theories is that if that is a hole in space time, where does it go? Would you be able to escape out the other side if you gain enough velocity and acceleration on your way in to actually propel you back out the other way? Because does physics, like period, inside there does physics? And uh, we don't know because we don't know how to get signals out because light doesn't operate correctly. (laughs) Yeah. Fun. Fun. (laughs) But Uh, but yeah, uh, Nova gets spaghettified uh, and everything. But yeah, there's a there's a lot of faffery in this issue. Oh, Um, sure. This could have been, like, I don't know that this needed to be an annual. Um, it is like not. Bernie and Bernie and caps appear in this issue. Yeah. And it's like, why? <laughs> what? Why did they need to be here? This this was, you know, how, how long is this? It's 35 pages for an annual. Yeah, it's about right. Um, not enough happens. They could have done. No. They could have done this in a regular twenty-page two-on-one, easily, easily. So, uh, so we wrap up this week with a couple issues of Master of Kung Fu. We will be we will be reading more next week. In fact, I think most of next week is Master of Kung Fu. Um, but the. Uh, the last two issues, we, we start with Master of Kung Fu number 70, 
which has a cover by Pat Broderick, written by Doug Mensch, penciled by Pat Broderick, inked by John Tartaglione, uh, colored by Doc Martin. Uh, is that right? I don't know. I, I feel like that might have been Don Martin, and then it there was some problem. Whatever. The, the page just says D. Martin. So. Uh, lettered by Glenn Simek and edited by Roger Stern. So Shang-Chi is brought by Blackjack Tar uh, on a mission to uh, bring a, a Chinese defector to um to england uh because he's currently in the u.s however in the process no it is in fact doc martin okay uh in the process uh blackjack tar is like i need your help with something else and it turns out that blackjack has received a letter from his former love anna um <clears throat> uh looking to reconnect uh they go to blackjack's house which appeared last uh immediately following shang chi's defection from fu manchu and it's just a house full of stupid ass traps and i don't know i don't know how black blackjack tar is supposed to have lived here but <laughs> i i feel like you know I I have a hard time with like if I get up to get a drink in the middle of the night and my daughter has left her toys in the middle of the living room floor it nearly kills me. I don't know how this guy has a house full of like lethal devices and is still alive. Um yeah. but anyway. So it turns out that the house has been taken over by uh, agents set sent to prevent them from whatever. Uh, and they fight their way through thinking that they have taken Anna hostage. But it turns out Anna is one of them. Uh, it also turns out that the defector isn't really a defector. And it's all a whole bunch of counter espionage. And I just don't give a shit. Uh, yeah they okay so in the middle of the fight we take a trip to the hotel where this defector is being held he and the guy that is supposed to be protecting him have some double speak back and forth about how he's actually a spy but that he's still undercover and blah 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 and he's safe and uh we don't do anything with that. It's swept completely under the rug in a text box in the last page that's like, turned out that guy was a spy. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, yeah. It's we're, silly. I guess we're left to assume that that was mopped up later. I um, guess. And the thing is, stop making trying to make me care about Blackjack. It's not going to work. I don't. Yeah. Not, I'm not going to do it. Um I, I, I don't know what this story serves other than to attempt to do that, and it's it's not working. Um, well, leaving a, leaving aside his casual racism, because I'm white and can do that. Uh, he's just a he's not a good character. I don't. There's nothing I. 
you know, there's nothing that is remotely compelling about him um, that I could, you know, if I were, if I were a shittier person and could look past his racism towards Shang-Chi, there's nothing there that I could latch on to and say, well, other than that, he's a good guy. He's not. He sucks. And he's legitimately stupid. Um, like, you know, we covered last time or the last week or the week before we covered his like black Jack blue. Like you're an international assassin or yeah, spy or what? Also, what do you bring to the table? As far yeah. as this goes, it makes more sense when he's just like hanging around Nalen Smith and being bodyguard. That's like, all right, you're built for that. Um, but when it's he's actually him, out here him doing going it. undercover and doing stuff, I don't. Ever since there was that a uh, that attempted. Uh, incursion in south america where the dipshits posted their pictures of uh pictures of themselves to social media and it was just like if you're doing intelligence work you can't be doing shit like this right that pretty well disabused me of the notion of intelligence work involving intelligence right but even so blackjack tar is in bad shape in that regard (laughs) um so like I complete I completely buy his being blindsided by Anna's turning out to be the enemy because it's like yeah of course of course he bought it he shit this guy probably responds to email scammers just like well I'd be happy to help you Pri- prince uh, Prince Hakim, allow me to send you my banking details. And they're just like, <sighs> Blackjack Tar, uh, it's bad enough you're doing this. You're really making us rethink hiring you in the first place. But also, could you stop giving them your your business accounts? Like, yeah. we can't afford to keep doing this every time. So, fuck Blackjack Tar. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, and the the way this is written is so maudlin that I feel like we're supposed to identify with him. Oh, yeah. In no, his sadness. And I don't, because I'm just like, you deserve whatever you get, man. Fuck well, you. Well, and like, at the beginning of it, it's, it's framed, too, by Shang-Chi feeling betrayed by, uh, what's-her-face? Uh, Juliet, right? Yeah. And I, I'm i not buying it. Like, this isn't yeah. the same thing at all. Even though yeah. that was blindsiding for Shang-Chi, like, this isn't, this isn't, this shouldn't blindside you. If you were a good spy at all, you would be paranoid as hell about receiving a, a, a transmission of any kind. A communication of any kind from someone you haven't heard from in 20 years asking you to do anything. I would be like, you know what? No, this is you You have to 
approach that with a sense of paranoia that Blackjack is not. And I don't care if like, no, if you it's the love of my significant... life, it's the love of my life and she ripped out half my guts. And I'm like, yeah, that then that half of your guts that she ripped out should have been filled with suspicion and paranoia because, and especially when it comes to her, like that's what, like being an intelligence person is supposed to do. Like you're so, I don't know. It's, it just doesn't, none of it adds up. It rings hollow, and it, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's the kind of thing of, if you are in a relationship, and you and your significant other both work in intelligence, and that person up and disappears off the face of the planet, there are only so many possibilities. Yeah. They're dead. Yeah. They've been flipped. Yeah. Or they're, they've retired. Yeah. Retirement pretty much guarantees you're never going to hear from them again. So does dead. So does dead. So if they're reaching out, they've been flipped. Right. So Blackjack Tar deserves anything he gets. Moving on. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So finally, we have Master of Kung Fu number 71, which has a cover by Mike Zack. And the issue itself is penciled by Mike Zack, inked by Bruce Patterson, colored by Petra Goldberg, and lettered by Jim Novak. Um... Shang-Chi is back with Laco and they they spend some time just kind of just kind of doing couple stuff. Um they go and spar at a at a local dojo and they do some puzzles and they listen to some music. Uh and they fuck on the couch and you know, it's just it's a it's a they go to they go to see Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, which Shang Chi loves. I don't know. I don't like. It's just it's it's color. I guess it's just it's one of those things that exists solely to sort of inform inform you as to who they are. Like you know, and that's fine. Uh, and then at the end of the issue. Sir Dennis shows up with his whole ass beat uh, and says that he's resigned from MI6. I like this issue. It's it's a quiet one that it is. is very let's give this guy a break. And it's not the most exciting thing. I'm trying to figure out or put it into words like why I enjoy this and I, I think it's they do a better job in the beginning in the middle of the theme of this issue being the puzzle um, both and they don't they're a little heavy handed they're a little heavy handed because the cover is a very, um, it's a him in front of a, a yin yang, yin and yang, yin and yang um, symbol on a red background, and it's obviously puzzle pieces. And um, he, the puzzle that Laco's doing, and he's um, making, you know, the metaphor is putting myself back together, picking up pieces, putting myself back together, and I feel like they do an okay job of conveying that 
And also, like, again, this is one of those things where, just like with Ginger, give me some fucking time with Laco and nobody else. And maybe I'll start actually caring about her if you let Shang-Chi care about her. And just chill on everybody else, you know, the rest and shit, the Juliet shit, all that other stuff. Like, I don't need it. Just focus. And I, I like the fact that this has some time to focus. Yeah. So I I think the thing that I really like is I get the the feeling that I get is this is Shang-Chi and Leiko being a couple. Mhm. But at the same time Shang-Chi is sort of figuring out cuz Shang-Chi dropped Leiko and went straight to Juliet Juliet fucked him and now he's back with Laco and I this the undercurrent of all of this I feel like is Shang-Chi Shang-Chi trying to figure out he has strong feelings for Laco but is this where he wants to be um and it's nice that we kind of get an issue that allows them to explore that without uh um without uh running and explosions and blah 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 you know we we get an opportunity to really sit with that and and figure out like was juliet a mistake and was he hurting because he felt like Laco had rejected him. Or is Laco the silver medal, uh, as it were, uh, because Juliet rejected him. Um, and I also think that it's interesting, the thing with the puzzle and the listening to music and even the going to the movies are all, again, quiet activities. And... Yeah. He, I don't remember if he if it's explicit, but he says something. Or in my head, I remember him saying something to the effect of just learning to be in the company of someone else without actually like constantly engaging with one another. Like you're just comfortable, and yeah. if you know how to do that, um, yeah. and still like care for a person without the over overt things that he thought he needed to hear and say and do and he can just go work out and spar because that's what he really want you know that keeps his mind centered and uh do the puzzles and listen to music and eat pizza like it's it's he can do those things too and like maybe you know exploring like how he feels about that situation well yeah and i i think it is interesting you know we get we get so wrapped up in the idea that love is the big gestures and certainly i feel like in his life that's especially true because everything is so life and death that you know you do get hung up on the big gestures but 
the day to day is not that stuff. Like yeah. you're not, you can't, not every day of a relationship is going to be standing there with the boom box over your head as the song that played the first time you fucked, uh, blares. But like, you know, it's, it's a weird movie. I'm sorry. Oh no, that um, movie's but, messed up. <laughs> but, uh, but also like, you know, it's, it, it is, it's that sitting around watching TV and just like, and you know, and he, it's, I know that he was specifically talking about, am I getting into a cycle? Am I getting yeah. into a rut where this is what we do? If I am getting into a cycle, is this the cycle that I, is this a cycle I like? And yeah. that's good. Like that's, yeah. that's the kind of exploration that he should be doing, which is, and the other reason, the reason that that is even allowed to happen is because all of our third wheels are gone. Right. Yeah. Like throughout this story, at least we don't have Reston. We don't have Juliet. We don't have any of these other women that he's been involved with. It's just him and Lego for the whole issue. And I was actually kind of annoyed when Sir Dennis showed exactly. up at the end. I mean, and it's ru- just like, oh, fuck. You ruined the moment. Um, but then even the Sir Dennis uh, cliffhanger was like, okay, that actually sounds like you got your ass kicked because you resigned. Maybe I want to read about that. Yeah. I haven't, I haven't decided, but it's more yeah. interesting than any of the other shit. So, yeah. uh, and again, this is what, how far, does Master of Kung Fu actually last much longer after this? Oh yeah. It okay. goes to like 125. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah. Top five. Top five. The Watcher's Guide's Top Five. Top Five. My top five I thought was going to be more difficult, but ended up being fairly straightforward. Number five. uh, The Sunfire Dickishness Index. Because I think uh, that is a fantastic... uh, rating system and uh should be observed uh number number four uh banshee ruins his vocal cords and this is more of a nostalgia thing for me yeah um than it is actually like cool and good um it's a nostalgia thing like i like we kind of hit hit on maybe too much and i know i'm guilty of it is uh it just means it's one more step like it's another thing that is just like, oh, we're getting the good shit now. Like, we're getting... Yeah. Like, as soon as Proteus hits, we're off to the races um, in X-Men. So, him him shredding his vocal cords is just one more, like, East, not Easter egg, uh, stepping stone, I guess. Nostalgia stepping stone. And it's it's kind of a nothing throughout the rest of it, but, like, it's, it's more of a nostalgia hit for me than anything else. Right. Um, number three, Storm Dispatching the Storm. I didn't really, couldn't really think of a better way to put that. Uh, but she expends a whole lot of energy in the beginning of that fight, not really using her powers, um, until it becomes, because she doesn't know what it'll do, until it becomes a point that she has to do something. Uh, otherwise it's definitely going to get out of hand. 
Um, yeah. And then the way that it's described of her, I hadn't describing her mutant abilities as feeling the energies in the air rather than like just controlling the weather was really good. Um, well, I always like when they do that with characters where you get a deeper under like Richter yeah. when after M day, when Richter was talking about people thought I just made the earth move. And he's like, it's so much more than that. Um, or uh, the, the easiest day to my mind is after, after Emma Frost gives Bobby his body back and she's like, you have no idea what you're capable of, do you? Yeah. He's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, I don't think you can die. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. Uh, so the fact that we're doing a little bit of that at all with these mutant abilities, especially starting with Storm, is really cool. Yeah. Um, and then nope. I, I feel like Omega level mutant is kind of bandied about more than it should be. Right. I feel like there were there were so many characters that like I you know but also like yeah there were so there were there were a lot of them where it's just like no 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 you don't understand it's not simply it's not just ice <laughs> like yeah. it's it's, it's functional i feel the vibrations of or i make the earth move no 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 i am manipulating energies magnetic fields inside the earth my power comes from the spinning molten core of the rock we're on like yeah. that's that's what i'm using here and uh i i don't and I, like... i've joked about i've joked about it like when i when i made the joke about Archangel controlling the fundamental flapping forces. <laughs> but like, but no, it is, it is really cool. I don't, I don't think you need every character, like the, the revamped Doug Ramsey, where it was just like, I'd speak the language of violence. And I'm just like, no, no, you do not. Well, you do not I, need to do this. I think it gets, I don't like the Omega level mutant thing because I think it gets bandied about too much in a, in exactly what you were just saying, which is like, if we investigate everyone's powers down to these sorts of things, then yeah, I can make anybody, but uh, an Omega level mutant, except for like marrow and magic and even magic. I could let's go. Right. Like she's drawing her power from the infernal itself. Like I can get there, but do we need that? No. Um, well, I like, I like, you know, I like when we investigate what a character can do. Not everyone needs to reach that level. Yeah. You know, I boy from X-Men. Yeah. I like the idea that like, it's not just eyes all over his body. He can see things you can't even imagine. Right. Is he going to take over the world with that power? No, but yeah. like, it is more than just eyes everywhere. Right. So. Um, number two is, uh, Satana's death. Um, I thought that was handled really, really well. Um, yeah. especially for a character that you and I haven't spent that much time with, and we've been doing this on purpose. Like, imagine if you just picked that up because it was two in one or team up. Team up. Yeah. 
just because it was Spider-Man. Like you met this character for the first time and you're like, they did a really good job of that death. Um, yeah. Again, team up. You don't have to work that hard. What the hell? <laughs> Shang-Chi and Lako being a couple is number one because that was just a good, quiet issue that I don't think I'm doing a good job of explaining why I liked it. And yeah. it's just giving the character some time to breathe and really enjoy doing what he's doing while also interrogating himself in a little more nuanced way about if this is something that I actually do enjoy and want to continue doing is this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Um, do I need to get back out there and kick some ass? And it's like, or I could just not. Yeah. I don't have to. Um, yeah. And then at the end, Nayland or at the end, Sir Dennis breaking or, you know, busting into the door while beat to hell. And it's like, yeah, okay, I'm cool. Or I'm cool with this as a cliffhanger because also you get to be like, is this a man you want to help? Like there's, there's interesting, you don't have to, you're under no obligation to do that. Um, Yeah. There's interesting questions that can be asked with that, um, that make it a satisfying cliffhanger to me. Um, Yeah. So I, I really, it was a really good way to end the week. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. That's me. Uh, Number five is the Sunfire Dickens index. Um, I'm especially proud of Sunfire pH neutral. Uh, (laughs) Number he's still a dick, but like, yeah, (laughs) Uh, yeah. The baseline dick. (laughs) Um, Number four is uh, Spaghettified Nova. Yeah. Number three is the art in that issue of Doctor Strange. Uh, number two, I really enjoyed seeing Banshee flex. Because again, you know, uh, it's more than just screaming. He's able to modulate it with that level of, because he's, you know, we didn't really talk about it while discussing the issue. He's like actively remodulating as the frequency shifts. And, you know, I dig it. Um, and number one is Shang-Chi and Leiko and Shang-Chi's quiet desperation in those moments where he's like, is this what I want? <laughs> like, you know, stuff like that. I mean, um, I, I said it before, but like the, the, him exploring, like, am I stuck in a cycle? Yeah. I get up, we hang out, go to a movie or we eat pizza or there's just like there's not a lot happening is this what i want and it's like yeah this this sometimes not a lot happens right yeah and nobody nobody can live with like that's why i wouldn't want to live in a movie you know is because like everything is always happening all the time right um so yeah so that is it for us this week uh, next week we've got some more Master of Kung Fu and some Captain Marvel. Um, 
So be sure to join us for that. Uh, rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, visit our website at watchersguide at G- or watchersguide.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us both individually and at watchersguidemu on Twitter. Or email us at watchersguide at gmail.com. Have a marvelous week. Bye. Bye.